Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Open up to Malachi 2.15. So you guys having a good week? A blessed week? If you're not, you can change it. You can change it with your mouth. God's given you the ability. It doesn't have to be bad the rest of the week. Amen. All right, so what I want to talk about tonight, it's a little different. Um, I'm going to give you some clues, and you can kind of guess. So has anybody ever seen e-cards? E-cards, they're kind of funny. Yes, no, it doesn't matter. I have some quotes I'm going to read, and you can guess what I'm going to talk about. So while you're turning, you can just listen. Okay, the first one is, nothing is truly lost until your wife can't find it. There's a lot of truth in that. Say amen, ladies. <laughs> All right, the next one. Hun, I know where we keep everything in the house. This is, this is a man saying this. Hun, I know where we keep everything in the house. I live here, Remember? said no husband ever. <laughs> and all the men said, boo. <laughs> all right. Sometimes I wonder how you put up with me. Then I remember, oh, I put up with you, so we're even. That one's pretty good. And then the last one, this, this one, there's a whole lot of truth in this one too. You know that tingly little feeling you get when you like someone? That's called common sense leaving your body. <laughs> I like that one. That one's good for people who aren't married. So anyway, I'm going to talk about marriage tonight. I'm not going to get into, it's, that's, that's a huge, huge topic. And there's so many different aspects and things, sides to it that you could talk about. And there's no way I can do that. Uh, and I promise I won't go as long as I did last time. I might even be really short, you know, it depends. But um, anyway. Uh, you guys believe God with me so I can get things out, you know, in a way that you guys aren't ready to stone me when it's over, <laughs> but you're ready to receive. And okay, and if you're not married, the way that I'm going to do this, it absolutely has stuff that applies to you anyway, because of a lot of, a lot of it is just how you deal with people. Um, so don't tune me out if you're not married, and don't tune me out if you were and aren't anymore. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all here, and it's the word, and there are things that apply to you. So, all right, let's pray before we get into it. Father God, we love you. We want to honor you tonight. We come together to gather around your word, and we're believing that I will speak it out, anointed in a way that will be easy to hear and easy to receive, and I just thank you for it. I thank you for your anointing, and I thank you so much for your most holy word. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, you know, what is marriage about? And I just put down three points. I can't believe I only came up with three, but like I said, I'm really trying to keep it short. I felt bad last time I went so long. So, Three points I have is covenant, giving, and crucifying your flesh. 
And that sounds real exciting, doesn't it? <laughs> Crucifying your flesh does not sound like an exciting one. So, you know, most people think, when they think of marriage, they do not think of those three things. They think of going on dates, doors being opened, batting eyelashes, uh, constant snuggling, or they think of maid service, in-house cook, long walks on the beach, I don't know. So there's a whole lot of things that people think of before they would ever think of these things. But what it really is, this, this is, and this is coming from me. I actually didn't get a marriage book and, you know, and pull these out. I did uh, pull a few things um, from Keith Moore. He's done a really, really great marriage seminar. He has, you know, if you know Keith Moore, he, he could talk three hours about probably, you could give him one word, and I think the man could teach three hours on it. I mean, so it's a huge, huge series, and I think it's like a series that goes on for several years. Anyway, I did pull a few nuggets from that, so I'm not going to lie, but all right. So the first one is uh, Covenant, and Covenant is, that's an amazing, most, one of the most beautiful parts of marriage I dare say, and like I said, a lot of couples, they don't, that doesn't even cross their mind when they're dating or what they're thinking about, you know, when they're going to get married, when they're thinking about committing to someone. But God set this up so long ago, and, you know, it's a binding agreement, and the thing that's so neat about how God set this up is it's God's promise to never leave us, never forsake us, and it's a rest that when you commit in a marriage, it's a rest that you enter into, knowing that that person's always going to be there. And it's a rest that we should have in our, in our marriages. It's really important. And like I said, if, if you're not married or you were and you're divorced, you know, just put it behind you. We're just moving forward tonight. God is awesome. He's, he's merciful. He's forgiving. And, you know, we move on. These are things that I said that you know, they apply to anybody, you know, praise God. So one of the important parts of covenant is keeping covenant. It's easy to say, you know, that you love someone and you cherish someone when your feelings are all wrapped up in them, you know. Um, it's, you're so excited when, you know, when you meet someone and you're just so wrapped up in them, and you can't even think straight. And, you know, it can be easy to say, you know, I will commit. You know, I, it's easy to say I do when you're thinking along those lines. But then after a while, you know, you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, it can be you, those feelings can be gone, you know, when you get in your first fight or whatever happens. And that's, you know, the covenant part is still there. You're still keeping it true, and you still keep the covenant. Amen? It's not about how you feel. It really isn't. And, you know, the devil hates covenant. Now, let me read real quick in Malachi 2.15. All right. Let me see where to start. Let me start in... 13. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore. 
nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. So the thing that I want to point out here is one of the reasons, I'm not going to get into all of this, but one of the reasons he set this covenant up is he's desiring uh, children, godly children, that will be raised knowing him for generations and generations. It's one of the things that, that he mentions here. He says he seeks godly offspring. This is why he tells the Israelites, he says, don't, don't marry the heathens. Don't marry the ones that aren't believing like us because he desires, you know, godly children. It's important to him. If it's important to him, it should be important to us. Now, covenant is trust, and trust is huge in marriage. You know, you know more about your spouse than anybody probably except God. And, I mean, you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> and there's a lot of trust there. You know, you could get on Facebook and just tell all their business if you got mad one day. <laughs> and that would be terrible. And I know people who've done that. You know, you, your, your spouse needs to be able to trust that you're not going to do stuff like that. You know, they're, they, they're, everybody has those moments when they are just not shining, they are looking ugly, acting ugly, and you, you need to have that trust between you that, you know what, you know, my spouse loves me, they forgive me, and, and, and when you know that, you don't want to take advantage of that either. Well, they have to forgive me, so I can just act like a complete idiot. No, you can't do that either. So there's a trust, and it's a really big deal. You know, think of the trust that we have, knowing that God's always going to be there. And he sees every side of us. He sees when we wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you know, all of it. And he's, he's not judging us. He's merciful. He's just continuing to love us. He's sticking with us. I don't know how many times I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lord, you put up with so much. <laughs> I acted so stupid, and you just keep loving me, and it's just so humbling. It's, you know, God's, he's far, 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 far more merciful than, than we even know. So God's good. He's promised, um, he's, he's set up the covenant, and trust is a big part of it. And he's promised to be faithful to our covenant. And that's how we are to be in our marriages, to be faithful to that covenant. And like I said, trust is, is a huge part of that. Um, you know, your home is like your rock. No matter what's going on in the world or your workplace, it's like your rock you come home to. And when you have a faithful person that loves you no matter what, you know, this is what it was designed to be. That's a huge part of marriage. It's that rock. You know, and even small children in a family, they sense that stability and they sense that love. It does affect them. They might not say anything, 
there's a lot of people out there just saying, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, the kids are fine. And, you know, I'll just give them a lot of money and, and they seem happy and they've got all their toys and they sense things, you know, they sense an instability. They can, you know, you know, but even if you, even if you make mistakes and you yell at each other or whatever, even if it is in front of your kids, I'm not saying do that, but it's going to happen. I don't care who you are. It's going to happen. Um, you know, God's faithful. You know, he, the grace is there when you stick with it. God's grace is huge. It's huge. You know, next time something happens and you're just so frustrated with your spouse, just say, Lord, I thank you for that grace. I thank you. It's working in me. It's working in him. You know, just meditate on it. You know, the grace is there. He's, you're together. You've decided to be together. You've made that choice. And he's going to, you stood before God and said it, and he's going to put that stamp on it. You know, that, hey, my grace is on this. You don't ever have to wonder. You don't have to think, well, maybe I married the wrong one. No, you stood up there before God. You made that commitment, and he put his stamp on it. And his grace is there. It's there. All right, turn to Genesis, Genesis 2.24. Might actually get out early. We'll see. Everybody pretty much knows this scripture. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know, be honest. Be honest in your marriage, but be honest with people. But think about it. Why not be honest with your spouse? It's like you're only lying to yourself. If you're one flesh, you know, you're hurting them. Guess what? You're hurting yourself. You, you really are. You, you cannot attack the other person in the marriage and not be attacking yourself because it's something you're in. I mean, you're together. This says the two shall become one flesh. So there's no reason not to be. And being honest, it sounds like such an easy thing. But when you just decide, I'm going to be honest, then, you know, when, when they ask a question that you don't want to answer, you're going to, okay, you're going to answer that question. It may be, you know, gee, what were you doing? Well, I was talking to somebody that I shouldn't have been talking to about things I shouldn't have been talking about. If you make that decision, I'm going to be honest no matter what. You're gonna, that accountability will be there, and it'll keep you from crossing that line and making a mistake that you don't want to make. So be, be honest. You can't have trust in a covenant when you're not being honest with your spouse. All right, the second thing that I listed is giving. And I think that's obvious. You will have so much opportunity to sow lots and lots and lots of seed in your marriage. <laughs> Maybe you guys aren't understanding this. You're going to give, and you're going to give, and you're going to give. And that is a part of marriage. And I think, like I said, I think no one thinks, yay, you know, they're young and they're about to get married. I can't wait because I get an opportunity to give. You're never going to hear anybody say that. You're just not. But it is true. 
It's an opportunity to give. And if you believe what the word says, the Lord says you will reap. But don't make the mistake and don't confuse this to mean, well, I give and I bless my spouse, so I'm going to reap a huge harvest from them. No, you will reap, but it might not come from them. It's the same way with people. You always sow good seed no matter what. That does not mean you expect them to turn right around. Well, I did this for them, so they better do this for me. You can't do that. You better just, if you have that, and I've had that thought. I think everyone has. You better just drop it. Because you cannot, you cannot live like that. You're going to be expecting things and, you know, God doesn't promise that when he says you will reap. He never says you will absolutely reap straight from whoever you gave to. Does he? If I'm wrong, please tell me, but I've never seen it. I, when um, I've given money and blessed people and then it's coming from, you know, all different directions. And sometimes it's not money back. It might be just this crazy deal on something. It, it comes back, but it's, it's not always exactly like that. You know, and it's the same way with people. So it's an, it's an amazing opportunity to give. And just remember, the Lord, you know, he does not promise you'll reap from the person you gave to. He only says that you reap, and you, you will. So let's turn to Isaiah 119. I need my reading glasses. Ah, okay. Okay. Uh, One nineteen. Let me see what this says in the Message Bible too. Okay. Uh, in the NIV, it says, "If if you there's there's two huge words in here. If you are willing and obedient." You shall eat the good of the land. And the two things I want to focus on is willing and obedient. It doesn't just say, if you're obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And it's really important. Okay, actually, I don't like the message Bible version. It's not, not what I want. So, okay, this one's good. So, you can be, you, your boss can give you a job to do at work. And there's two ways you can do it. There's one way you're going to get blessed and one way you're not. And you can go and do it. You could do it like that. And you could do an excellent job and do it quick. But the whole time you're muttering under your breath and your attitude just stinks about it. I mean, how many people's done that? I mean, I've done it. Absolutely. I've had to catch myself. Oh, my attitude stinks. I've got to fix this. <laughs> I'm not getting blessed with this kind of an attitude. You know, it says if you're willing and obedient, your willingness has to be there too. You can't just be obedient. And the same thing applies in relationships and in your marriage. You, you can't just, well, I'm doing this for them, but, you know, under your breath or even out loud. You've got to be willing and obedient. If you, if you want the scripture to work for you, you've got to do it all. The Lord, he knew what he was doing when he made them write that. When he made him write that, he knew. I've seen people 
who are so talented at certain jobs and, and I mean, just smart, smart, talented, amazing. Um, they're always at work, but I've seen them, people develop an attitude and start grumbling. And I tell you what, they didn't last long. They, they either, you know, got removed or they got so disgruntled by things that they removed themselves from the job when they were really good at it. And when you start that grumbling and you don't have the willing attitude and the right attitude, it's just, it's just, it just, it's awful. It's something that can grow and cause you to make mistakes, you know, that you don't want to make. And this is something you don't want to have in your marriage. Or like I said, you know, with, in relationships with people. So remember, you know, to be a blessing to your spouse and obedient in your marriage and give with a good attitude. You won't be blessed if every step you grumble. So, so remember that. It's important. And I, I, it's easier said than done. You know, I get that. I've been married almost 20 years. It's definitely easier said than done. But, you know, the more you work on the attitude and you're like, you know, I'm going to have a good attitude. I don't care if they got up on the wrong side of bed or are cranky, you know, or vice versa. It, I don't care. I have to have the right attitude. I have to concentrate on me. All right, so the next one I have, the third point, is crucifying your flesh. So I heard a minister say this once, and I've always remembered it. He said, you can't trust your flesh any further than you can throw it. And basically, it just means you cannot trust your flesh. Well, I'm so spiritual. I can hang out in bars and talk to people I shouldn't be talking to, and, and it didn't affect me. Um, no, <laughs> you can't handle it. You're not so spiritual. You so carnal. <laughs> you fleshy. <laughs> okay? No, but, but it's, a, it's a mistake, and that's an extreme example. But that is a mistake people make. I, I can handle this because I'm so spiritual. I can, I can handle, you know, being alone with the opposite sex you know, whatever, in any situation where you just, you know, it's, it's not a good idea, you know. You just, if you, if you just remember what this says, to just never, never, never trust your flesh. Never. You will always be okay. You never trust it. You know, I actually know of a church that has taken people in their singles group and has sent them to bars to minister to people, to go get them saved in the bars. Okay, in one respect, it's like, well, we need to reach out to those people. Okay, I get that on one level. But to put young people in that kind of a situation, I don't even think us as Christians should be in that situation anyway. But to put young people when they see a lot of their friends going and partying and putting it on Facebook about how much fun they're having and they're making idiots out of themselves, which is, which is the real truth, humiliating themselves and having all kinds of problems that they're not going to tell you on Facebook. They're just going to tell you all the fun they had. You know, there's a truth that they're never going to reveal. They're not going to tell you about how, 
you know, how many tickets they got or how they got their license suspended or revoked because they got caught drunk driving or that, you know, they're not going to put that on Facebook. They're just not. They're not going to post that. They're going to tell you all the good things because that's what the devil does. He presents it in this package. That's a complete lie. So I actually know of a church that has done that, and I've known of people who've fallen, and they're not even in church today, and they're out drinking all the time. They, you know, it, I don't understand that. It's, there's got to be something in you that just says, mm, this probably isn't the best idea, <laughs> you know? But we take that for granted. We are church. We're filled with the Spirit. And when something comes up that we shouldn't do, we have that instant red light. We know. Yes, you can override it. But we... We are a Holy Ghost church. You know, if we miss it, someone in church might come up and say, hey, you know, what's going on with this? Or, or it might, there might be utterance in church about something, and you're like, oh, that's for me. You know, I missed it or whatever. You know, when you have a Holy Ghost church, you don't, the, things like that don't happen. When you're in a church, you go to a church where they don't believe in it, they don't talk about it, they don't care about it, those kind of things are going to happen. It's like people have no sense to do something like that, you know, the, they put these kids in this situation they couldn't handle, you know, it's not fair. So anyway, so never, ever, ever trust your flesh. Uh, turn to Galatians 6.1. You know, that applies to so, so, so many areas. If, you know, I have to not buy potato chips. <laughs> Unless I know that it's the kind my husband likes, and then I won't eat them all. But if it's the kind I like, I know I could go through that whole bag like that. And, and, I ha and so for me, personally, just me, my way of Staying away from that altogether is to just not have them in the house. <laughs> and it's just, so you know, there's areas that you just, you know where you just need to stay away. You just don't, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'll be fine. And, you know, if, if, I, if I have that attitude, then I'm going to find myself eating the whole bag. So, no, I'm not alone. <laughs> Everybody's got something. And you know, and just because someone else can handle a situation, I don't care. You cannot judge yourself by what someone else can handle. You know you, and you know what you can handle. That's why the Holy Spirit will be like, no, don't, don't do this. You've got to listen. He might not be telling that to someone else, but you, you've got to listen to it. All right, and I somehow ended up in the wrong spot. Let me get to the right spot. Okay, six one. Okay, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. What I want to point out here is the words, considering yourself. This one is huge. The carnal person only considers what the other person has done. You, we are not to be carnal. We're to be spiritual. We have to consider 
what have we done? What could we change? What could I have said differently? What could I have done differently? You know, nobody is above temptation. Listen, it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in all ways. That's what the word says. Anybody can fall into temptation. So don't say, well, I would never find, I would never do that. I would never find myself in that situation. You know, that's how people have ended up being complete drug addicts. You know, well, I would never do this. They start somewhere, they cross the line, taking some kind of pill, they move on to something harder, and then, oh, it's only once a week, and then it turns in every day, and then you find yourself at a place where I never thought I would be one of these people. You, you, you don't ever trust the flesh, and nobody, if you just remember, no one is above temptation. Jesus was tempted in all ways. And um, Pastor Greg was talking about this last Sunday. You know, even Jesus went out and fasted. He got his flesh under control. You know, the Holy Ghost knew it was coming. And the devil, the devil didn't, it, and, and it's easy to hear this and go in one ear and out the other. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, God was tempted. Okay, no, if it says he was tempted, the devil didn't bring him something he wouldn't have been interested in. He, he was, if, he, if he was tempted like it says, it had to be something big. You know, the devil knows what you like. He knows where you can fall. He's not stupid. He doesn't walk in here with a pitchfork. He knows we're much smarter than that. You know, it's true. I mean, he knows exactly where to get you at. You know, you're, you're, you're straight up deceived if you say, I would never. And in, in that sense, too, you're also judging someone who's been in a situation. You know, don't say that. You know, but for the grace of God, we are here. We know him. We get to hear about him. You know, think of it that way, too. You know, your flesh will, will do anything you let it do. So remember, you can't trust it any further than you can throw it. And if you remember that, you'll always be safe. Um, refuse to meditate on annoying things in a marriage. It will kill a marriage if you don't. It will. Meditating on those things, whether they are true or not, you know, and it may be 100% true what, what you're thinking. Well, they did this. It opens the door for the devil, and it opens the door, and you're letting him come in and just feed you a whole pack of lies, and he's the author of confusion and lies, and I mean, think about it. Have you ever started thinking about negative things about someone, and the situation got better? Usually not. It usually ballooned up into something ridiculous. And then you might even start thinking things that are wildly untrue. And because like I said, you just opened the door and said, come on in and sit down and feed me a bunch of junk that I'm going to believe. And you can't do that. You've got to stop yourself. I am not. Yes, that's annoying. You know, they, half the time 
they did something to you that they didn't even realize. Okay, but sometimes they did do something that was rude, okay? Everybody does. Everybody has those moments where they're ugly. And don't tell me you don't. I don't care how long you've been married. Everybody has an ugly moment. I may be the only one telling the truth up here. I don't know. <laughs> I don't care how smiley and nice you look. I don't care. <laughs> I know people too well. I've, I've learned too many things. <sighs> you know, you just, you've got to stop yourself. You cannot focus on it. Like I said, you focus on it, you're going to be in trouble. You know, you, what you need to focus on is finding value in that person. There, is, there are things to love. You found them when you were first dating. You might have to go all the way back and think, well, what was it I liked about this person? Because <laughs> people do change. But that's a good thing. You know, when, when you're godly and you have a godly marriage, those things, you know, that might not have been good can really change for the better, you know, in your spouse. And so you can't focus on it. You've got, you pray for them and you know, you know, God, God's, I, Lord, deal with me and deal with them. I know your grace is upon us, you know. And, but like I said, consider yourselves. Consider yourself and how, um, you know, what you could have done. Um, Keith Moore was saying one time that he was really upset. He'd been in ministry for a while, and he was really upset about something that had happened. He didn't say what it was. There's just a million different things that could happen. And he was just really, really getting so much focus on it and really getting upset. And... Um, he was just really having a bad time. And the Lord just said, you know what? You just need to quit focusing on yourself. Because he was, he was thinking about the situation and how it was affecting him, how it was affecting his ministry. But it's affecting the people I minister to. And it was, you know, it was just kind of snowballing. And the Lord was just like, you need to quit focusing on yourself. And when he did, things turned around. So quit focusing, you know, quit focusing on yourself. But at the same time, you know, you've got to consider what you could have done or said differently in every situation. You've, you know, you can't just say, well, it's their fault. You can't do that. All right, turn to Genesis 3.12. You know, the devil wants you so wrapped up in your flesh and focusing on what other people did wrong that you end up spending year after year after year not pursuing the things of God. That's one of his main goals. He knows that there's satisfaction that comes from pursuing the things of God, pursuing him. He knows. He knows that, and he doesn't want that. And, you know, our time here is so, so, so short. It's, it's just so short. Um... The other night I was praying and I saw like where it's a it's the race and you're given the baton and I, we've talked about that before in church you know it's the race we're ready to take the baton and you know I thank God 
so much for the pioneers who I feel like, have, I can't say started this thing, but have revived what God's been doing in the past, you know, 50 to 80 years. Just thank God. We, where we're at right now, what I saw was it's like there's, there's the finish line, and instead of us being back there, grabbing the baton, and then just running as fast as we can, it was like they handed us the baton, and it was it. It was like we're that close. We're so, so, so close. And what this ministered to me um, when I was getting this together, too, because I thought, you know, ooh, just spider. That's gross. <laughs> yeah. Um, now his gut's up here. So anyway, <laughs> so what ministered to me, a little distracting, was don't get so wrapped up and so upset about stuff because our time here is so short. I mean, we have eternity. You're going to look back and laugh at the things that you just got so wrapped up and upset about. You're going to be like, oh, why, why? You know, I was so silly. If I'd only known, it was just right around the corner, you know, moving into our, you know, moving into eternity and all that God has for us. It's just, it's just so close. All right, did you guys turn to Genesis 3.12? Okay, yeah, like 20 minutes ago, right? <laughs> now this is bugging me. All right. Then the man said, the woman who you gave me to be, gave me to be with, you gave to be with me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. You guys know this scripture. Back in Genesis, man fell. And when God asked him what happened, he said, the, she did it. And then when she was asked what happened, she looked at the snake and said, well, he did it. <laughs> he deceived me. So we have a whole lot of blame shifting going on here. Immediate blame shifting and pride and accusations, it's a sure sign of fallen man. And you know what? The sad thing is things have not changed. Our country is in the mess it's in because everybody's blaming the other side and stuff doesn't get done. And it's not just there, it's, it's in every day. I work in the school and it's so rare to find a kid that you catch them doing something and you ask them about it and they just, yeah, I messed up. You, I find it. I do find it sometimes, but I have to say it's, it's very rare. Kids are just immediately, well, they did it. Or if they were really caught doing it, they made me do it. You know, there, there's just that immediate, immediate blame. Um, so Adam and Eve, you know, he blamed her, she blames him, you know, they did not consider themselves, what could they have done differently in this situation? So think about it. Always think, what could I have done? And I'm not saying get in a habit where you just beat yourself up or something, but always think, you know, is there a way I could have, could have said something nicer? Is there, is there something I could have done rather than just say, you know what, I'm in this mess because of them. You know, there's so much of that. There's so much of that in marriages. It's their fault. 
It's their fault I'm in this situation. It's, it's, it's their fault that we're not together anymore. I mean, I, you, you don't hear people say, I just completely screwed up my marriage, and that's why we're not together anymore. You might find it sometimes, but for the most part, you don't ever, ever hear someone say that. I may, you know, you've got to think, what, what can I do differently? You've got to think of yourself in that situation. You know, what can I do or say? And not just immediately blame. All right, turn to John eleven twenty. put my guts over here on the seat <laughs> that's on the lid because it's grossing me out <laughs> I literally have guts tonight you're right brother Bob you are right all right so John eleven twenty. now Martha as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming went and met him okay so quick let you know where we're at on this Okay, so this is where Lazarus had died. And so let's, Jesus was just now showing up, and he's already dead. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's mad. She blames him. He would not have died. This wouldn't have happened. She wanted him to drop everything at that instant and be there. There's not one, she didn't think for one second, is there something I could have done different? Could we maybe have somehow got him to Jesus? You know, was that a possibility? Was there, was there you know, could we have prayed for him? You know, I'm, I'm just mad because he's gone and it's his fault. I mean, and at this point, this is, Jesus wasn't new in his ministry at this point. They, these people, Martha, Mary, they, they'd seen what he'd done. So don't ever think I, I, I'm above blaming someone because she blamed him. He would be here if it weren't for you. She saw, you know, there's people all over. The, they, they blame everybody else. They even blame God for their situation. You know, she did it right here. Um, if, you know, if somebody can blame Jesus, you can blame anyone for your bad situation. You know, she needed to consider herself, just like that scripture says. You know, and think about it. Who is Satan? He's the accuser of the brethren. And I, I forgot to look up that scripture. But it's so perfect. That is what he does. And that's, that's a, a part of why our flesh is so quick to do it. You know, it comes straight from him. It's what he does. He brings thoughts that, you know, it's their fault. It's not your fault. It's never your fault. It's their fault. He does that. You know, it's really messed up. You know, what's really messed up about it is Jesus was their answer. I mean, he fixed the situation with Lazarus. He did. You know, thank God he's merciful. But what's so messed up is she thought he was the problem, and he's the answer. 
And that's how backwards you can begin to see things when you start immediately blaming someone else. You can just completely miss your answer and it be right in your face. And we don't want to ever do that. Turn to James 2.13. All right, James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, don't be a judge, don't be a judger in your marriage. Be a merciful one to your spouse. If you want to reap, you want to not be judged, you don't want them thinking crazy stuff about you, do you? If you don't want that, then you don't do that to them. Be merciful to them. And like I said, this applies to relationships too. You know, be merciful to your friends when they make mistakes or you think they did something. Be merciful. Don't be like, well, I'm just walking in love. (laughs) I mean, for real. (laughs) Like, really. You know, be merciful to that person. Be merciful to your spouse because you want to reap that very... Uh, that grace and mercy. You want to reap that. You need that in your covenant marriage, and it will be there. If you do this, it will absolutely be there. All right, and one of the last things I want to mention, go to 2 Kings 5, 9. And I had trouble finding this scripture because I did not know how to spell Naaman. It took me a while. I, I even stumped my husband because we kept spelling it wrong, and when you get on Blue Letter Bible and you try to search stuff, it kept saying, no, nothing, nothing. I'm like, I know it's in there. We found it. Five, nine. Okay. Naaman, N-A-A-M-A-N. For some reason, I thought there was an H in there. All right. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given him victory to Syria. But he was also, says he was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Okay, so that's the background. He was a leper also. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely, he's going to come out here. He's going to come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God. Wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. So he got furious. He, he was going to get healed. He was going to go to God's servant, and he stood at the door, and it says, and Elisha sent a messenger to him. So Elisha didn't even come out and talk to him. He was probably mad about that. You know, be ready to go with the flow. Always be ready, you know, it's when you're in a marriage, it's not just you anymore. You cannot come in with all these expectations. Well, Christmas is going to go down this way. 
because this is how I grew up. I think the biggest early marriage fights are probably right around the holidays or birthdays. You've always experienced something one way. Well, you know what? You're in a covenant together, a new covenant. Things are going to be different. Things are going to be done differently. Don't bring these expectations of it's going to go down this way, and if it doesn't, they're getting a cold shoulder for two weeks. <laughs> I'm serious. I know. It's funny. It is. It's, and I think, you know, I, I've been guilty of this. You just, and you don't, you may not even purposefully picture things going down a certain way. You don't, or verbalized it, but you just kind of, you just do. Because everyone grows up with certain traditions and certain things. And, but you've got to be real careful about that. You can't just go into it with, this is how we're always going to do everything. And when it doesn't go down that way, because your spouse doesn't want to do things that way, you know, it wouldn't be fair to just demand that it goes the way you want to go. You know, if, if, if they want to do something differently, you know, you've got to come to a place where you learn to agree on things. Because it's not your way or the highway. That, that it's not gonna work. You're both gonna, com you're both gonna compromise for each other to the point that if they aren't happy, you're not gonna be happy. You will get to that place, and that, that's a good thing. You want to work together on how you do things. You know, you become happy doing things together, and you become happy knowing that they're happy. It's not just always your way. So don't, okay, so back to um, Naaman. You know, I'm sure he pictured in his head how this was going to go down. He even verbalized it. But first, Eli um, Elisha didn't even come out. He says he sent a messenger. He said, go tell that guy out there this. I mean, he, he must have been busy. I don't know. But are just confident enough in what, you know, what the Lord had told him he was going to give to him and it was going to be fine. So the guy, the messenger went out and said, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. I don't know how many times I've read this and I'm just like, yeah, wow, you know. Wow, you know, he got his miracle. And I missed it so many times at how this went down and, you know, what he could have been thinking. And it says, I completely missed it. I mean, it says, Naaman became furious and went away and said. So he's saying, he's like, what in the world? I thought he was going to come out here, wave his hand, and pronounce me clean, and everything was great. And it says, he said, are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. So he's even arguing over where he's supposed to go wash. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Now, if he had, he could have continued on his way. And he would have continued being a leper. So he turned and went away in a rage. It says, and his servants came near. He was open to his servants. His servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet has told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more when he says, Wash and be clean? So apparently he was, somebody he was open to spoke to him and just said, Come on, you know, let's do this. He's telling you what to do. Let's just do it. Forget about how he said. It doesn't matter. Let's just go do it. He says, So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan. He did exactly what he was told. And according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored, was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So 
you know, you've got to be ready to readjust when things aren't going to go exactly how you think it should go. And you can apply this to so many areas. You know, be ready to go with the flow. If he'd stayed that way, he wouldn't have got his miracle. I think that Naaman is just, it's a, he's a really good picture of all of us and how, how we think of things. You know, this, you know, God might have a different way. He's wanting to get to you what he wants to get to you. Be open to that. Listen to the Holy Ghost. He'll tell you. Don't just say, I'm going to get it this way, and this is the only way, whether it's your healing, whether it's the money you need for something. Don't put God in a little box. This is the only way it's going to happen. And because God can move in so many different ways. Amen. All right. Here's just a few last things and I'm pretty much done. And they're just, let's call them marriage nuggets. I don't know what you want to call it. So if he's cranky, he's probably not even thinking about you. If she's cranky, she probably is thinking about you. (laughs) I know. I'm going to try and lighten the mood a little after all this serious, serious stuff. Okay, but not all of this is funny. So um, I did mention earlier about cold shoulder. You know, don't ever do cold shoulder. It's basically manipulation, and that's the devil's realm. He loves manipulation. He manipulated even the garden to get her to eat the apple. He didn't just walk up and say, I'm the devil. I'm going to ruin your life. (laughs) and eat this. He wasn't that stupid. He manipulated her. Did really, did God really say it? He knew just what to say, just how to say it to get her to do it. You know, so cold shoulders is just manipulation. I'm not going to talk to you or act like I love you till I get what I want. And that's never okay. So don't ever fall into that. That's just a trap. Um, marriages can be ruled by one person and one person's miserable because of this. You can't, you know, or someone doesn't speak up as much because they're just like, well, I never win and just causes a fight, so I can't ever express how I feel about a situation. You know, you can't do things that way. You've got to learn to agree on things. I said that earlier. It's not your way or the highway. You need to get to that place where, like I said, if, if they're not happy, you know, you're not happy. And I don't mean, you know, person B, there's A and B, and person B is in full-blown depression, and so you're going to go into full-blown depression too. I don't mean that. I just mean agreement on things that you go and do together, what kind of vacation you agree on taking, where you go out to eat. I mean, things like that. <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't mean like what I said. So, and the last thing that's really important, refuse to meditate on the annoying things because it will kill marriage if you don't. Find something to love. And that applies with every person you come across and meet at work. You can find something. I've learned this in the school. (laughs) Some kids are just crazy and you've got to find something to love about them. (laughs) And And I always do. You know, you can do it. The grace of God is on you when you make that commitment and that covenant. And and remember, he's in covenant with you. He puts up with your stuff. You can put up with their stuff. Amen.
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.